Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into today's message. So, Heavenly Father, we bless you, and we thank you. And again, Lord, we thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen, that we can stand on your promises, that we can count on your promises, that we can live our lives according to your promises. And we pray today for blessings here. I pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and that you would speak today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would move in our hearts, that there would be space in our hearts today for you, Jesus. Lord God, that we would be made new creatures in you and we can move from death to life in you, Jesus. And in your name we pray, amen. So we're continuing on with our sermon series for this year, uh, From Death to Life. And if you recall, we started out the year, we talked about the past and that Jesus even redeems our past, right? Just as he went into Egypt and came out of Egypt before being baptized, so too Jesus will go into our very past to redeem it for our present and our, for our future. In week two, Pastor Mike talked about us being new creatures in Christ, that, that we are saved from sin for God's glory, and that Jesus gives us a purpose and a vision. In week three, we talked about being having faith in the middle, that sometimes the middle looks like storms, and sometimes the middle looks like just walking around the mountain again and hoping that things will finally be different. Um, but to have faith in the middle in the situations that we find ourselves in. Last week, Pastor Mike shared about having identity as children of God and that that identity as sons and daughters of God should give to us uh, faith, should encourage our faith because we recognize who God is and who we are. And so because of that, we know we can have faith during this transition from death to life. And all of this sermon series is all building towards Easter when we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so this week, the topic of our conversation is going to be prayer. It's going to be engaging with God because really that's all prayer is. It's simply spending some time having a conversation with God. And so we might have some misconceptions about prayer. You know, um, my family, we, I grew up going to church twice a year on Easter and Christmas, and we would say we go every Sunday, the two Sundays that matter, Christmas and Easter. All the rest of the time, it doesn't matter, you know, who cares what goes on. Um, the tradition that I grew up in when we would go to church typically had people sharing in prayer time with things like, our Heavenly Father who sits on the throne above. We beseech you this morning on behalf of Albany and all of City Church and all of your creation. Right? It was this sing-songy, big, magnificent, flowery language. Um, I don't think necessarily that's prayer. It, it could be prayer. I don't think it has to be prayer. And I say that because I don't talk to anybody else that way. I don't talk to my kids that way. I don't talk to my wife that way. I don't talk to my parents that way. I don't talk to my boss that way. I don't talk to my clients that way. I don't talk to anyone that way. So I don't think God necessarily requires me to talk to him that way. In fact, when I talk to all those different people, I have lots of different ways I talk. Sometimes I'm very reasoned in the way I speak. Clear, concise, point by point by point. Let's reason together and get through this topic. Sometimes I'm very passionate about a topic and so I'll get excited and my voice will get loud and, and, um, and there'll be a, an, an element of volume to the way I speak. Sometimes uh, perhaps it's a situation where it's really better to whisper and I'll speak quietly 
and I'll bring all the emotion down and just, hey, let's talk for a minute. Let's pretend they can't hear, right? Sometimes it's appropriate to whisper. Sometimes it's appropriate to be funny. Sometimes it's time to be serious, right? We have all these different ways of talking. And so to me, talking to God, prayer, is that's just simply that. It's whatever the situation calls for. I'm going to talk to God that way. So sometimes I'll be driving along and I'll see something funny. I'll be like, God, that's hysterical. Did you just see that? Right? And it's just, that's me praying because I'm just talking to God. And I think it's something that's really funny. Um, I remember once writing a joke because I had to MC something and I practiced by telling it to God. I was like, God, tell me if you think this joke is funny. I didn't get a response. I don't know if he thought it was funny or not. I'm guessing not. I'm not that funny a guy. Um, but anyway, that's, that's talking to God. That's praying, right? It's, it's communicating with God. And prayer could be in any one of those forms. It doesn't matter. So for today, we're going to start off in the book of John in chapter 2. And this has in it one of my favorite prayers. And at first, it may not seem like there's a prayer going on here. And that's okay. You'll catch up with what I'm thinking about, hopefully, if I do my job. So John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, now pause for a moment. When Jesus says that, it actually is a term of endearment. He's not being harsh. He's not being mean to his mom. He's not being disrespectful. He says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And the thing is, this really is a prayer that Mary has just said to Jesus. Her prayer was, very simply, they have no wine. Notice, although it doesn't seem like a prayer, it's not loud, it's not uh, supplicatory, right? It's not flowery language. Notice that Jesus doesn't, or Jesus, Mary doesn't do this. She doesn't say, oh, hey, Jesus, hi, son. Um, you know, the kids are low on wine. Could you run down to the market and maybe grab some and bring it back to the party, right? She wasn't saying, son, it's great you're here. Um, could you get the people to slow down on their drinking a little bit? The kids are running out. I'm a little worried about them. Maybe see if some people could run home and grab some wine from their wine cellars and bring it back to the party. She just looked at Jesus and she said, they have no wine. And notice Jesus' response. He says to her, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. He didn't say, hey, mom, I don't have time or, you know, I don't have any wine. He didn't say, where in the world am I going to get all the wine for all these people? He didn't say, what do you want me to do about it? In fact, he didn't respond in an earthly manner at all. He responded and said, my hour has not come. His hour. Jesus, who was born in the fullness of time. Jesus answered Mary when she said they have no wine from his divinity. He answered her and said, according to the plan of God, it's not yet time for me to reveal myself. His response demonstrates that when Mary said to him, they have no wine, she was praying. She was addressing his divinity. She was addressing him as the Messiah. She was addressing him as the Savior. She was addressing him as God, a very God, a very God not just her son. 
She was saying, you're God. They're run out of wine. That's prayer at its simplest form. Recognizing who God is and asking God to intervene in a situation. She was praying. They've run out of wine. See, Mary, she wanted a miracle for that bride and groom that day. And that bride and groom that day needed a miracle in their life. Mary had been pondering for 33 years all of the promises made about this son of hers, Jesus. She'd been pondering for 33 years all the prophecies that they made. She'd been pondering for 33 years who this little boy was that she's watched grow up to become a man. And she's been wondering just when it will be that this son of hers would demonstrate that he's the son of God. See, prayer has really at its component four parts. And the first of those is faith. And so Mary turns to Jesus. And in faith, she asks him to intervene on behalf of these kids. Remember, he hasn't even performed a miracle yet. He's done nothing miraculous on earth other than be conceived and be born. Now, granted, she had angels to talk to her. She had angels to talk to Joseph. She had angels to talk to the shepherd. Right? I mean, Mary had had some, certainly some reasons to have some faith here. But Jesus himself, he's done nothing yet on his own to demonstrate who he is. His hour has not yet come. She has no earthly reason to believe that he can do anything about this situation. But Mary's faith leads her to ask Jesus for help. Are you who I think you are? That's what she's saying. Are you who I think you are? And so she says to him, they have no wine. It was a prayer from the depths of her mommy heart. Moms, do not underestimate the power of your prayers. Do not underestimate the power of your prayers, you who are mommies out there. Mary was saying, Jesus, my mommy heart is breaking for these kids. They don't have enough wine. They're going to be embarrassed on this that should be the happiest day of their lives. They're going to be embarrassed and he's going to look like a fool in front of his friends, in front of his family, in front of his associates. He's going to look incompetent in front of his bride. And he's going to look incompetent in front of her family. His parents, oh, his poor mother. How embarrassed she's going to be when they run out of wine. She was saying, my mommy's heart is breaking for these kids. This is a day that is going to stick with these kids forever, Jesus. This kid, he's going to be the butt of jokes about this forever in his father's house. They have no wine. This is going to come up at future weddings. People will remark, remember that wedding with that kid that ran out of the wine? Man, was that a loser party. It's going to go on and on. It's going to be a day that's going to live in infamy with this young man. Jesus, please do something for them. I don't even know if they realize they're run out of wine. Please do something. I know who you are. My faith tells me who you must be. And so unless Mary was speaking to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, there was no reason for him to respond to her from his divine nature. And Jesus says to her, my hour hasn't come yet. There's this plan. You know, A.V., can you guys put that slide up on the back with all the little circles? Okay, so my, the, the depth of my artistic ability is really just like triangle, stick, that's a tree. 
Okay, that's, that's it. I, can't, I don't get more artistic than that. In my head, I see something much more grandiose than this. In my head, I see all these lines going from the fall of man all throughout the history of Israel and the church. But to try to make something that could somewhat be projected, I did this, right? So Jesus is saying, my hour hasn't come yet, right? My hour hasn't come yet. We've got this plan. There's creation and the fall of man. There's the flood and there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. There's Joseph and slavery in Egypt. There's Moses and the burning bush and the plagues. We've, Mom, we've had to do all these things, get them all in order. We've got the exodus, the tabernacle, wandering in the desert. The Ten Commandments are given. We taught the, the children of Israel about the feasts and Sabbath and the Passover and sacrifice. They went into the promised land. Joshua led them in and conquered the promised land. And then the judges came up, Gideon and Samson and Micah and Samuel, all to help demonstrate who God is and his plan for them and his desire to see them saved. We set up the kingdom of Israel as a precursor to the, the kingdom in heaven. We had Saul and David battling Goliath. There was Solomon and they built a beautiful temple, Mom. We, we had people write Psalms and Proverbs. We had the prophets, the major prophets and minor prophets. Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Hosea and Amos. Jonah, right, with the big fish swallowing him up and spitting him out. Who says God doesn't have humor? Right, but Jesus said, listen, Mom, there was this grand plan we've made. We've, we've got this huge battle plan for the salvation of mankind. And then Israel got captured by Babylon, and we had Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. We restored the temple, and we had Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, Ezra, Nehemiah. And then, then, I don't know if you can see it, but back here, they've got this thing after Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and Esther, and it says, wait. And for 400 years, there was nothing. There was just silence from heaven. They were just waiting. And Jesus saying, hey, mom, we've got this plan we've been building towards. It's not quite time for me to be revealed. But by faith, Mary speaks to Jesus. Not with fancy words or flowery language. They have no wine. By faith, she asks him to intervene for this young couple. It's our faith that defines prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be our name. By faith, we speak to a God that we can't see. By faith, we address him as a father, one who cares for his children, one who thinks more good thoughts towards us than there are grains of sand in the sea. By faith, we talk with God, reminding ourselves that he is good and holy and that his name is holy and he is set apart and he's perfect. Faith is one of the things that differentiates regular earthly conversations from prayer. It differentiates prayer from idle words or vain repetitions. Mary drew up from that wellspring of faith and said to Jesus, they have no, fa uh, no wine. Jesus says, my hour's not yet here, right? And so faith is that first part. When we talk to God, when we pray, stir up that faith in you. Stir up that faith that is resident in you as to who God is and what he will do. That all his promises are yes and amen. The second aspect of prayer that we see here in this passage with Mary and, and Jesus talking is persistency in prayer. 
Because Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus says, hey, my hour's not yet come, right? And so then Mary, she turns to the servants and she says, whatever he says to you to do, do it. Do you see the persistency in that prayer? Basically, Jesus just said to her, mom, no. We've got this, oh, it's gone. We've got this big battle plan for the salvation of mankind. So, no, um, uh, it's not time to do that. I'm not going to do anything here to reveal myself as divine because we've got this plan and it's not time. So, no. And Mary just kind of looks at him and looks at the servants and says, yeah, just do whatever he says. It's amazing. It's an amazing persistency in prayer. She's not taking no for an answer here. Recall the, the passage where, where we have the woman with the unjust judge. She goes and she knocks on his door 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 over and over and over and over and over and over again. Night after night after night. And finally he's like, woman, what do you want? And she says, my son needs help. And he says, okay, I'll decide the case in your son's favor. Right? There's the Syrophoenician woman who goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, can you help my children? And he says, um, you know, it's not right that we give the food of the children to the, to the dogs. Right? It's not right. He just basically calls her a dog. It's not right that the, that, that is, which is the gift for the children of Israel is given to the dogs. And she just basically humbles herself. She's like, you're right. I'm a dog. You're right. I'm a dog, Jesus. But you know what? Even the dogs get to eat the scraps from the kid's table. And he looks at her and he goes, your prayer is answered. Your child is healed. Right? She wouldn't, say, she wouldn't take no for an answer. She was persistent. Right? And King David, who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed all night long. You had Elijah. And this is another one of my favorite passages. This comes from 2 Kings chapter 13, starting at verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness from which he would die. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck it three times. Right? Took the arrows. Struck it three times. And the king... I'm sorry. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike to the... Strike the ground and he struck it three times and stopped and the man of God was angry with him and he said you should have struck five or six times then you would have struck Israel or Syria till you have destroyed it but you will only strike Syria three times it was a it was a prophetic act that Elisha was telling the king to do it was a prophetic act of prayer that he was saying he was saying listen you've got this problem the Syrians who are in your land the Syrians who are coming against you so take this arrow and fire it through the east window fire it into your tomorrows fire this arrow into your tomorrows and then he said take that arrow and strike the ground with it strike it until you've destroyed the enemy but the king strikes three times and gives up and the prophet says, no, you foolish man, you should have struck and struck and struck. 
You should have struck and struck and struck and struck. You should have struck until you had victory. You should have kept on going. Be persistent. Stir up that faith inside of you. Launch that faithful prayer into your tomorrows and then keep at it. Keep at it. Keep going until there's a victory. Until you've defeated the enemy completely. Like King David lopping the head off the giant. It wasn't enough to just knock him down with the, with the sling. He took the head off so everyone could look around and see that giant's dead. You see, be persistent in your prayers. Like Mary was persistent in her prayer. And so I can, I can just imagine Mary's looking at Jesus with only her eyes, right? Just looking at him. I, I don't know about you, but my mom, my mom could communicate encyclopedic volumes with a look. She could look at you and just, it just kept going and going and going and going and going and going with just a look. And so I can see Mary looking at Jesus and with only her eyes saying, son, I know who you are. I was there when you were conceived. I know what your mission is. I know you're the very son of God. And I know you and the father, put those circles back up. I know you and the father have this grand plan for the salvation of mankind. I'm aware of that. But I know that these kids today, they need a miracle now. They need a help today. And I know you can do something about it. And so I see Mary doing this. She's got a big post-it note. It says, more wine, mom. And she walks over to the big battle plan for the salvation of mankind. And she sticks it on there. And she says, I know you guys got a plan. Those kids, they need more wine. And here's the kicker, moms. Jesus never did anything except that God the Father told him to, right? Never said anything except God the Father told him to. What do they do? They change the plan. On an instant, they changed the plan, moms. Because Mary prayed for those kids, they changed the plan that they have been working on for thousands and thousands of years. They've been setting it up since the very beginning when man fell. They changed the plan. Just like that. Because Mary prayed. Just like that. They changed the plan. Said, okay, audible. We're going to do what Mary said. The kids need more wine. They changed it. That's awesome. That to me makes this my favorite prayer in the whole Bible because God was willing to change the very plan for the salvation of mankind on a moment's notice because Mary took the time to pray for some kids that their day would be blessed. That's amazing. That's the power of prayer. That's the power of you mommies praying. Don't discount the power of your prayers. Every one of you mommies, don't discount the power of your prayers. They changed the very plan for the salvation of mankind. I could just see God the Father calling angels to him, right? We got to do a rewrite real quickly. Okay, now here's going to be the plan. Now we're going to lay it out. All right, so we're going to change things up. Now, Jesus, I want you to tell the service to do this. And they start reworking a new plan that reveals Jesus to be the Son of God but blesses those kids on that day when they needed help in that moment. Our prayers must come from a place of faith. 
They must be persistent. And then there's a couple other elements. When you're praying for something, leave it to Jesus after you've prayed. I love it that Mary just left it to Jesus. She said, Jesus, the kids don't have any wine. He says, Mom, right, it's not my time, blah, blah, blah. And she says, yeah, servants, just do what he says. And then she walks away. She goes and does whatever it is that Mary's doing during this wedding feast. I don't know what Mary's doing, but she walks away from it. She's told Jesus what the problem is. She's put it in his hands to take care of it. She's told him she trusts him to do it. And then she leaves it in his lap. She says, Jesus, you do it. She doesn't tell him how or when or where. All those details she leaves to Jesus. She just says to the servants, be obedient, do what he says to do. She didn't tell Jesus to multiply the wine they have, right? She didn't tell Jesus to have a traveling wine caravan stop in and have to unload all their goods. She didn't tell him to have it rain wine. She didn't tell him to have wine spring up from the earth. She didn't tell him to make the people stop drinking. She just said, Jesus, the kids are out of wine. And she didn't tell him what to do or how to do it or when to do it. She just let him know. And then she stepped back. When you pray, have faith, be persistent, leave the details to Jesus. Let him come up with the details. How often, I know at least for me, I've, none of you guys do this, I know, but I know for me how often I pray and I'm like, God, I want this and I want it right now and I want this much of it and, and I want it to be free and I want it to be easy and I want it to be accessible and I want those people to see that I got this over here and, and I want it this, and I want and I want and I want and when it doesn't happen that way, I get all upset at God that he's not paying attention to my prayers. Those are all the details. Let him know the issue. Let him know what's going on. Let him know that you have no wine. Let God deal with the details. Let him figure out the how to do it. Right? Whatever he says to do, do it. It reminds me of when Naaman is told to go and dip in the Jordan River and that he'll be healed from his leprosy. Right? It reminds me of when the widow is told to pour out her oil into the little jars and she keeps pouring her oil and the oil keeps pouring as long as she has empty jars the oil keeps coming it reminds me of when the lepers are told hey go present yourself to the priests and on their way to the priest their leprosy is healed whatever it is that jesus tells you to do go and do that thing so we have to have faith we have to be persistent leave the details to jesus lastly time God created time. He exists outside of time. We exist inside of time. To God, a thousand years is as a day. And a day is as a thousand years. And so often we forget about time because we want our prayers answered now. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is praying for an end to the drought that's going on in Israel. And so he stops and he prays for the drought to end, for the rain to come. And then he asks his servant Gehazi, he says, go, go out and look and see if, there, if you see anything. And the servant comes back, he's like, nah, I don't see anything. And so Elijah prays again. And he sends his servant out, go look, Gehazi, go see. And he goes out and looks, doesn't see anything. And he prays again. And he does this 
six times and six times Gehazi goes out and looks and he sees nothing and Gehazi comes back the seventh time or comes back after the sixth time and Elijah prays again for rain and he sends Gehazi out and Gehazi says comes running back and says I see something out over the sea it's a cloud the size of a man's hand and, he, and Elijah says great go get your chariot and go before the rain stops you see sometimes our prayers take time sometimes we have to see an element of time worked into what's going on for us to see the thing that we're praying about. Now, I believe that God sent that cloud the first time that Elijah was praying, just nobody saw it until he went out the seventh time, right, and looked. And so back in the wedding feast of the Canaan of Galilee, Jesus' mother says to the servants, whatever he says to you to do, do it. And then it says this, it says, now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification for the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Okay, now I want you to imagine this. There are these six water pots that hold 20 or 30 gallons apiece, and Jesus says to them to fill it. Now, bear with me one moment, just in case it makes noise, but... There were there six water pots holding 20 or 30 gallons apiece. That's a 32-gallon garbage can. This was ancient Israel. They didn't have garden hoses. They didn't have indoor plumbing. And so when Jesus said to them, fill these six, imagine five more of them, six water pots of water, the guys didn't just go and pick up these stone basins and go over to the tap and turn them on. They didn't drag a, a hose over and start filling it up. No, that basin would have had a significant weight to it itself. It was made of stone. And 30 gallons of water is going to weigh about 250 pounds or so. No, what these people had to do, remember, every morning the women would go down to the well and they would draw out the day's supply of water and bring it back. And so when Jesus says to them, fill the water pots with water, right, these servants would have done this. They would have, they would have said, okay, let me take a smaller container and bring it to the source of the water and fill it up and let me bring it back and let me pour it in. And they would have poured it in until it was empty. And then we said, okay, I got to go back to the source of the water and I got to get more water and I got to bring it back. They probably would have used a bigger vessel than my water bottle. But you get the image. They would have kept going back to the well time and again filling up their little vessel and I'm thirsty it's tiring carrying all this water and they would have poured it in and they would have gone back and filled up their vessel and brought it back and poured it in over and over and over again and I can just imagine Jesus watching them as they're filling one water bucket another water bucket, another water bucket. And they would go and they'd fill up that first one. They'd get it full, all the way full. And they'd say, great, that's full. Good job. Fill the second one. And they'd go and walk and fill and come back and walk and fill. They'd fill the second. He'd say, good job. That's good. The second one's full. Now fill the third one. And they'd go and they'd fill the third one. And then they'd fill the fourth one. Good, the fourth one's full. Now go, fill the fifth one. They'd fill the fifth one. That is good. They'd get to the sixth one. They'd fill it up. He'd say, that's good. And all six are full. 
And at that point, he says to them, dip in, take a little bit of water, and take it to the master of the feast. And you recall, this has taken time, some amount of time. We don't know how long. It should remind us, filling one, that's good. Filling two, that's good. Three, four, five, six, that's good. That's good. That's good. And then they take the wine to the master of the feast, and he says, this is very good. This is very, very good. Most people give inferior wine at the beginning and save the best to last, but you have saved the best to last. This is very good. And do you recall that pattern? Reading your Bibles. One, that's good. Two, that's good. Three, that's good. Four, that's good. Five, that's good. Six, that's good. Seven, that's very good. It's back in Genesis. It's the very creation story. Jesus, in fulfilling this miracle, is telling the very creation story. In, in doing this miracle, he was demonstrating that mankind is sinful and needs salvation. That man on his own doesn't have enough wine to get his own sins forgiven. He's demonstrating that God created the universe and he can create wine in a moment. He could do anything else in a moment too. He's demonstrating sin and salvation and redemption. He's demonstrating the role of the church to go and get water from the source and bring it and pour it into the stony hearts of men. He's demonstrating that mankind needs a Savior. And then at the end, God the Father wants to celebrate at the feast in eternity with His church. Worship team, come on out. I'm not sure if you guys are out in the back or, or up here. Come on out. Prayer team, I want you guys to go to the back. And get ready to pray. Because remember, we're talking about prayer today. And prayer has faith. And prayer has persistence. And prayer has an element of leaving it to Jesus. And prayer has an element of time. I want to close just sharing a little bit of a, a testimony from a time of prayer. A friend of mine came and he asked me for prayer. He said, Kevin, my shoulder is really hurting. I'm in severe pain. My shoulder hurts. I can't lift my arm up. It's bothering me at work. They've done an MRI. I'm waiting for results. It's been this way for weeks. It's not going away. And he said, Kevin, one time you prayed for me when my back hurt and my back got healed. So I want you to pray for me again. And I said, okay, I guess I'll pray for you. Uh, and so I did. And I did a very simple prayer. Lord, I, I pray that you would heal Ross's shoulder. I pray that his range of motion would return and he has no more pain. I didn't say anything more because I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't need flowery language. I don't think I'm going to convince God to move because I'm so eloquent, right? I just really simply, Ross's shoulder hurts. Could you please heal it? Could you make the inflammation go away? Could you make the pain go away? And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened at all. Ross looked at me and said, my shoulder still hurts. I'm like, Ross, I can't do anything. But instantly I remembered one of the passages in scripture where Jesus prayed for a blind man. And he said, can you see? And the blind man said, well, it's like trees before my eyes. The, I, 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 I don't think it worked, essentially is what he was saying. So Jesus prayed for the blind man again. So Jesus had to pray for the guy two times. I'm like, if Jesus had to pray two times, maybe if I pray two times. So I prayed again. And you know what happened? Nothing. His shoulder still hurt. He still couldn't move it. It was still bothering him. And I said, Ross, I can't do anything to heal you. I have no magic powers. I have no ability to move God. I'm just praying and you're praying. 
I'm willing to stay here at church with you and pray until, if that's what you want. Said, or you can go home. And every time you start to have fear, doubt, and unbelief that maybe God wants you to keep be in pain, that God doesn't love you, that God's forsaken you, I want you just to pray again and pray for your own healing. And every time I'm at home and I think of you over the next few days, I'll pray for you too. And I went home. And over the next couple days, every now and then, I thought of him and prayed. And about three days later, he called and said, Kevin, I woke up this morning and I got ready for work. And I went into work. And about an hour into work, I realized, wait a minute, my shoulder doesn't hurt at all. And he's like, I realized I could move my arm above my head and I could do jumping jacks and nothing bothered me at all. He's like, I think God healed me. I'm like, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me. It was just simply that God wanted to heal him. So today, let's stand up. We're going to launch back out into some worship. So you just bring it up in worship as you're ready. And in the meantime, our prayer team is in the back. And if you need prayer today for something, then I want you to go back to them and get prayer from them. Let them pray with you. Let them pray with you for that need in your life. Maybe one of the messages we shared over the last weeks has been stirring up in you. Things from the past that you want to get off of your back. Go back and get them to pray for you. Maybe you're facing a storm in your life. Maybe you're facing a trial in your life. Go back and get prayer from them. Maybe your next door neighbor's facing a trial and you want to go get prayer for your next door neighbor. What? Maybe you're going around that mountain again and again and again and nothing's working. Go back. Let them pray for you. Maybe you're hoping against hope that you could become that new creation in Jesus. Well, then go back and get prayer with them. All right? Let them pray for you. Our prayer team is honored to pray with you. They want to pray with you. Come on, City Church. Let's move from death to life. Let's start moving from glory to glory to glory to glory in Jesus. Let's start building up our spirit men and women in faith and praying for one another and praying for our community, praying for our families, praying for this nation. Let's start stirring up that spirit man in us and praying in faith that God would move because that's the only answer to all of the trials that we face in this life is Jesus.